I met with uh, Admiral Mullen just over a year, about a year ago, when he was getting ready to retire. Actually, it was July. And he said, I've assigned the Chiefs $465 billion to cut. And that has now grown to $487 million. Now, I am a strong fiscal conservative. I know that cuts <coughs> need to be made in defense, just as in everywhere else. But the defense accounts for 20% of our budget. And we took 50% of the savings out of defense. Mm -hmm. And that's just the first tranche. The $487 billion that we're working through right now, that's not going to change. I mean, much, though that number is going to be somewhere near that. But we will be able to, um, or we will go through and put our our priorities too as we go through the, the committee process, subcommittee process. We've, we've just finished the hearings with the uh, uh, service secretaries and the chiefs, and we're about halfway through the combatant commanders now. But um, that's not going to change much as we go through that. The number will be about the same. We'll change some programs and different things. But, but hanging over our heads now is sequestration, the second tranche. When we passed the Deficit Reduction Act, the idea was that the Super Committee would come together and address entitlements. If we don't do something about entitlements, it doesn't matter what else we do because we could cut the whole discretionary budget and we would still be running a deficit of about half a trillion dollars. So that's the real problem. It's not the, the military, it's not the Defense Department. And, uh, and we need to really get the focus back to where, where it needs to be because that's the runaway problem. We have 10,000 people a day coming on to Social Security and Medicare. And then at Bush's uh, last year, his uh, budget, the, at the end of the year, we ended up with a $438 billion deficit. At the time, that was a lot of money. Now it's the good old days. When we came to Congress, Mike and I were in the same class, and John Micah, who's going to be coming here, uh, the budget that year was $1.5 trillion. Now that's what the deficit's run. And that's less than 19 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, that's pretty pretty rapid escalation. And the last four years, last three years, it's just gone out of sight. If you, if you just look at a projection where, and where we're going. You know, when we balanced the budget after we won the majority in 2004, we did that in four years. Paul Ryan presented a very tough budget last year, and that doesn't balance the budget for over 20 years. It's gotten that much more serious in just that short period of time. So uh, if, if this were a, a peaceful time in the world, then maybe it would be something that we should consider cuts of of this magnitude, but it is not a, a peaceful time. You know, in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm sure I'm the oldest one in the room, um, we have, I've seen us after 
I wasn't here for World War One. <laughs> after World War One, we cut back our military because we weren't going to have any more wars. And after World War Two, we cut back our military. After the Korean War, after Vietnam, we have done it time and time again, and we never seem to learn because. What happens is we're not then prepared for the next uh, problem. And there always is one. I was having uh, a, had a little meeting with Secretary Rumsfeld uh, a month or two ago, and he said, on 9-11, I was meeting in the Pentagon breakfast just like this with a few members of the Armed Services Committee. And he said, I told him, I don't, didn't know when, where, or what, that something very bad was going to happen. Because we had just come through the Bush-Clinton drawdown and cut back our defense. And just as Reagan said, in his lifetime, he never saw us get into a conflict because we were over-prepared. It's when you draw down, when somebody wants to exploit the fact that you're pulling back or you're weak, or they suppose and think that we're weak. A couple hours later is when they hit the towers. When he, when he related the story, he said, I, I am definitely not a prophet, but it doesn't take a prophet. We, we, history kind of repeats itself. This is the first time in my lifetime, though, that I've seen us draw down during a war. We still have 91,000 troops in, of ours in Afghanistan, 40,000 of our uh, allies from NATO, and they're still going out the wire every day on, uh, on important missions and putting their lives on the line. And they, they, the world is not like it was when my dad was in World War II. He would write us a letter and we'd get it a month or two later. They have instant communication. They see the debates we're having here. I get requests when I go visit the troops. They want to know what's happening to my pension. Am I going to be able to re-enlist? What's going to happen to my career? What's happening to my family? They should not have to be thinking about those things. They should be focused on the mission. They should be watching for IEDs. They should be trying to make sure that they complete the mission and return home safely. We should not be putting them in that kind of situation, and we are. I was in a dinner the other night in the Pentagon when the Secretary was uh, just laying out the uh, this this budget, and it was the big eight and some of our military leaders. And toward the end of the meeting, General Dempsey was sitting across from me, and he said, "You know, he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs." Said, "I have been in this business for 37 years. I've never seen a time as serious as right now." Yesterday, the day before, I was meeting with uh, General Mattis. We've had four meetings in my office since he got this assignment. The first one he came in, he said, there are three things that keep me up at night. Iran, Iran, Iran. He went out toward uh, his command, uh, and he came back in a couple months later and said the same thing. Then uh, a couple of months ago, he came in and said the same thing, and then this week, the same thing. And at, at that time, you know, I, I hadn't really understood, and, and I don't think America was really focused. You know, we see the Khomeini get up and make some wild speeches, but, you know, it, 
I didn't focus on how dangerous they were, but most of the terrorism that we see around the world, they are the ones fomenting them. They're, they're paying for it, they're training the terrorists, providing places for them to train, and they're the ones that are causing this, uh, most of this version. We remember when they were going, we caught the guy, they were gonna have the, uh, assassinate the, the foreign diplomat here in D.C. I think all of a sudden we kind of got the idea hey, these these are bad guys. Aside from the fact that they're trying to build a nuclear weapon, they say they're just building a power plant. If you see, if you could see the the way they're fortifying what they're doing, there's really not a reason to do that if you're just building a power plant. They have so dug in that it's going to be very difficult to stop them. But I, I, I have had several briefings, and I have seen the, what projections are. I mean, the Secretary of Defense went over to uh, Middle East and said in very short time uh, and there would be bombs dropping on the ground. The President the other night said, uh, you know, tried to... to uh, I guess for some political points saying that, that we shouldn't be talking lightly about war. It was his Secretary of Defense that made that comment and, and I think everybody understands that it is very serious and very close and uh, as has been explained to me, if we don't take action, the Israelis will. They will not leave their uh, security in the hands of somebody else. If they don't, if we don't act, they will. And it's just the, the time is running out. Uh, Korea, new leader, North Korea. At some point, he may have to show that he's got the the uh, wherewithal, the whatever it takes to to lead that nation and to secure his position as the as the leader. It would seem to me, if I were in his shoes, if we were focused, General Mattis told me that uh, he's top of the line. He's been promised if he anything he needs, he'll get the ships, the planes, the manpower. And if something does happen over there, I, I think it's not if, I think it's when. Uh, and he gets all the help he needs, that's going to take from other areas. We have the smallest Navy right now that we've had since World War I. 285 ships. <coughs> when we came to Congress, we had over 600 just 20 years. Now, I'm not saying that the ships that we had in World War One could beat the ships that we have now. That's ludicrous. But numbers also matter. And, and the idea that, um, that we think a ship could maybe be in two places at the same time, it, it's not there yet. We haven't learned how to do that yet. So, uh, in this budget, they're taking down several cruisers that, uh, that we're going to retire them before their lifetime as a, as a money-saving thing. And we're going to replace them with ships that, are, uh, that don't have the same, same firepower. They're, they're littoral combat ships. We need them. They have a different mission. They'll be very helpful in, uh, in the uh, 
straits of Hormuz over there to fight those little fast speedboats, but they're not the same firepower of these cruisers that we're going to be cutting back. Uh, we will have the smallest air force that we've had at any time since the air force was created in, in uh, World War II. So these are these are, are serious things. I was down in uh, in Texas a week or two ago, and I visited while I was down there with uh, some retired generals. One of them had commanded the third division. It's gone. He said, "We do not have the combat power. We could not go into Iraq right now with the shock and awe that we did." And, and accomplish what we did. Maybe we'll never have to do that again. But if we had to, today, we could not do the same thing. We had different kinds of, of power over the 10 years. We've developed a lot in the area of unmanned aircraft. We've really come a long way with our special forces, but you can't win uh, an all-out war with special forces. They have to have uh, regular forces there just to back them up, provide the things that they need to carry out their missions. And there's some people I think that have gotten the mentality that we will never need uh, a tank force again, or we'll never need an artillery force, or we'll never need a long-range penetrating bomber. When we came, uh, they were in the process of cutting back on the B-2. That was slated to be 130 planes, penetrating long-range bomber. It ended up 21. We, we fought and fought and got it from 20 to 21, and then that one got, was crashed and we had 20. And now in the studies they show that we should have another 100 long-range penetrating bombers. Well, if we had built those when, when, when it was all the production line, everything was going, uh, it would have been a lot cheaper than what we're going to do. Now, if we ever get it done, we had one of the, in the drawing boards, it was in the black world, we canceled it in last year's budget. Now we're starting another one. This start and stop wastes a lot of money. I have, I think, the best job in Congress, serving as chairman of the Armed Services. I get to meet with our young men and women here at home and around the world. I see tremendous things. Um, you know, Tom Brokaw's book about the greatest generation, I believe that. I think those are my parents lived their life only thinking about their children, trying to help us, and thinking about their country. And whatever sacrifice it took, they were willing to do it. When, what I, I, re I remember as, uh, as a young kid, um, Mom, they didn't have nylons. We didn't have rubber. We had, had uh, synthetic rubber. It was very hard to get gasoline. We didn't have a car anyway. And Dad was in the Philippines, and uh, it was just—it was a different kind of world. Food was rationed. It was rationed, uh, but nobody was complaining. We, we all understood that the sacrifices, because most people knew people or had family or friends that had lost their lives. My dad's best friend was killed. He was he received a battlefield commission in Europe and was killed leading his men across the bridge. And and people just understood that. Right now, I think we've got probably one percent 
that are focused on the war. And that's the people that are fighting it and their families. And some of the ones that are building stuff to, to try to help them carry out their missions and return home safely. I'm not saying that as a criticism of the rest of us. It's just the way it is. And we're not, we have not been bought in. Uh, President Bush gave over 40 speeches about Iraq, trying to educate the country to understand what we were engaged in. President Obama has given three speeches about Afghanistan, and that was the war when he was campaigning that was an acceptable war. That was a good war. Iraq was wrong, and, and, and he hasn't done anything to educate and bring the people along with, with why we're there. And, and uh, so it's, those people are over there carrying out that mission, and uh, fortunately we've been able to bring home the people from Iraq, I think, that we probably shouldn't have brought them home, all of them, we probably should have left some kind of residual force behind, but they couldn't negotiate uh, the deal. I hope we don't make the same mistake in, in Afghanistan. Thank you all for, uh, for putting up with me, and uh, listening to me, uh, it's it's exciting times that we're living in. I think this is the best country in the world. I think it's the best people in the world. But I think we need to free our, our creativity, free our spirit that we have. We've been held down by, I think, excessive taxes, excessive bureaucracy and regulation. And, and we've just made it harder to do anything. I tell people, you know, the Pentagon was built in one year in World War II. And and I think if we were to try to build it again now, <laughs> first of all, it's a swamp and probably some endangered species we wouldn't even build it. But say we got through NEPA and all of the different problems and finally got it built, we'd probably be through with World War II, the Korean War, uh, and probably be well into Vietnam before we could build it. That really is a it's a detriment to our society. That is chew, chewing up so much of our resources uh, and our energy to go through all the kind of stuff we need to accomplish things. And it's holding businesses back. It's one of the things that's feeding to, to, to job loss. We cannot cut enough to work our way out of our financial situation. We have to free ourselves from some of these encumberments and get people back to work and grow our way and remember at the same time to not stop on holding spending down. That, we've done that before. So it's a combination, get us back to work, broaden the tax base, get people, uh, more people contributing to the, to the process and we can work our way out. But it's gonna take leadership and it's gonna take uh, all of us pulling together to make that thing happen. Thank you very much.